everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, CEO and founder of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forged forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to POSED pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks, speaking with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. My hope is that you're inspired and motivated to consider positive education for your school. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the Flourish 2019 conference this October in Western Australia. And we hope to see you there. Madonna Ahern is a teacher with over 30 years experience in state and private education, with 20 of these years in senior leadership positions. Madonna holds a Doctor of Education from QUT in the area of positive psychology. She's also the co-author of a history textbook, Faces of History, and co-author of the article, Evidence-Based Coaching to Enhance Senior Students' Wellbeing and Academic Striving, which was published in 2016 in the International Journal of Wellbeing. Madonna is currently the Deputy Principal at Mount St. Michael's College, a large Catholic girls' college in Brisbane. She's the co-developer of the Positive Education Program, which includes life coaching. POSED at Mount St. Michael's College was launched in 2011, and since then, Madonna has presented at PISA conferences and recently had a poster on display at IPA 2019. She's also currently the Vice Chair of the Queensland PISA Association. Madonna wants to see female adolescents emerge with their own suite of evidence-based resilient skills, and to this end, she's passionate about assisting them in this area. So welcome, Donna. So pleased to have you with us today. We've been in contact over probably the past, I'd say, four or five years, maybe even longer, actually possibly even longer. Yeah, maybe five, six years, I think. It actually might be a bit longer now that I think about it because I think you brought a, a group of staff down to do some initial training with us and that was probably pre, I'm thinking... Oh, that's right. It was about 2011. Yeah. So you were really, you really are a pioneer, Donna, in positive education. You were somebody, an educator that reached out to me in the very early days, really. Um, so, so excited to have you on the show. And of course, we've also co-authored a publication, which uh, we'll actually put up on our Facebook group, Pioneers of Positive Education, which is co-authored by my colleague, Eileen Dooligill, who's about to be become Dr. Doula Gill. What a cool name. Oh, that's that good, is. Yes. <laughs> and of course, Donna, you're now Dr. Ahern is formally. Yeah. Yes, that's fabulous. So we'll put yeah. that paper, I think it's in an open access journal, so we'll make that available as well. And of course, your PhD, uh, which you've fairly recently completed, was on exploring the impact of a positive education program on the well-being of adolescent girls. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And that was 2017. 2000 and. 17 and the data that was in 2013 and 14. 
So really keen to hear a little bit more about your research, what you've discovered through completing the PhD, but I think also your experience as a, a practitioner and also, you know, being a leader in and pioneer in coaching, taking a coaching approach in schools as well, which, as you know, is something that I've been really interested in and have done, had done some previous research on as, as well. But we usually start off by asking what actually brought you or your school, which is uh, Mount St. Michael's in Brisbane, to adopting a posed approach. And I guess I'm really keen, particularly for your why, Donna, like how did you first connect and then how did you get the school, uh, I guess, interested as well? Well, thank you for the opportunity, uh, Susie. Excited to receive the request. And also thank you for all that you've done for us along the way. Why we adopted a positive education approach is that in 2009, when I first came to school as deputy principal, we had a wellbeing program that was pretty much ad hoc. It was called PEPPP, Personal Enrichment Program, but it certainly was just very bitsy. So I was looking for a program reaching out. I wanted a program with more substance and credibility. I looked at Mind Matters. Uh, I looked at a few other programs. I went and visited people. Uh, I researched on the website. But uh, I also called uh, Matthew White at Geelong Grammar School, and they were early days as well. I still remember that call. Uh, he was extremely welcoming and excited about what they were doing. He invited me down. And really that was the start because we did take up that offer and go down. And in talking to his colleagues at Geelong Grammar, Justin Rosen, we really were very interested in what they're doing and what positive psychology had to offer. And the PEP program, I know that you were utilising a curriculum that was in existence, which we've just discovered has become out of print recently, Donna, which was the Thinking Skills for Peak Performance by Catherine Brandon and Claire Ivans. Was that yep. a part of that initial program? No, but we have been using that part of uh, positive education. That's our year eight program. I'm um, disappointed to hear it's gone out of print. Yeah, well, I think apparently the student manual is still available, but, yeah, the teacher one isn't. And I had been in touch with them a couple of years ago. I'm, I'm really impressed with the program as well. I think it's a great program. So, sorry, you said you have been using that for years seven and eight using it currently for year eight and right. very happy with that program because it's obviously written by someone that knows the classroom and knows what works in the classroom and we've been very happy with it. That doesn't mean that obviously we'll keep sort of forever but at the moment uh, we're happy with, with how that program runs. Fantastic. So as you said the personal enrichment program was fairly ad hoc and then your approach was to take a bit more, was it a more of a structured approach then to what the girls were doing in, in dedicated pastoral care period, is that correct? Yes. This school has timetabled wellbeing time and I wasn't very happy with what I saw was happening. It was just too unstructured. And really, to me, miss in terms of I don't think there was any science or, or, or anything behind it or textbooks, et cetera. And really, that's the case, I think, for a lot of schools five to ten years ago because a lot of them were looking at life skills type programs and reaching out, trying to find, well, what material are they going to put in class time for life sort of skill lessons? So I really think, and there's still a need for material out there put into classrooms. 
with untitled posets. Yeah, absolutely. Although I, I do hear there's a, a new curriculum from Geelong coming out soon as well. Um, and I'm sure we're going to see more of those become available. And of course, you've also worked with us with our newly launched Growing Mentally Tough Teens program as well. Yes. And we were very privileged to be part of the pilot program and we had staff trained with that and, and I know that two of our staff came down and did training in Sydney. We rolled out pilot and then uh, we're into, I think, second year now and, and that's the year 10. It sits with our year 10s and we're really very happy with how it's going as well in terms of that whole notion of resilience and pushing through and dealing with obstacles and challenges. And some of those C's, commitment, etc., they fit with our ethos here at the college. So that all worked out very nicely. And we're also very, very grateful for you and the school in uh, piloting that program for us. And we took some of that feedback on board and uh, the program we're very happy with so far. So, um, but very keen to hear a little bit more about particularly your approach, you know, when you did contact us about some coaching training initially for the staff and then the intervention that we ran as a, I think it was a pilot technically. Was that correct in the first instance? Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us a little uh, bit about that? That was pretty much, I think, in our almost what I call our second phase after our launch between 2013 and 2016 where we were really developing positive psychology. We had the coaching trial and really almost didn't uh, get off the ground. We needed some funding training and development and I couldn't get that and really was just about to think, well, we're not going to do this. Then the business manager decided that he would give us some funding for the trial and we trained the teachers. We started with 50, but I think we were down to about 35 in terms of data gathering and we did pre and post. Results of that were very promising and I, I guess that really surprised me. I didn't think that it would work, but it did. And so we were then able to roll that out. And since that, since 2013, that trial, we've had coaching every year since then in year 11, and it's part of our positive education program in year 11, so it complements positive psychology, and it happens in a positive period. And what happens is we've got an eight to nine session training program at the beginning of the year, and then we're, we're just about to launch the second part of the program for year 11s, which is they will move into the classrooms with year sevens this term and right. next term for about four sessions and they will have a coaching buddy with year sevens. So that's been very fruitful and productive as well. The sevens have enjoyed working with elevens and having their own little coach and program over a number of sessions um, because sevens have timetabled posed time as well. We've been careful to structure that carefully so that they have time, but they know what they have to do in that coach time. They have a little booklet each. Uh, the coaches in Year 11 have a coaching guide. The Year 7s have a little booklet where they're jotting down their academic goal and the progress they're making with that. So, And then we celebrate at the end. So we hope that that program will continue. 
So, uh, Donna, just to confirm, the eight to nine session training in the first half with Year 11s, is that in a group setting or one-on-one? That's in a group session and uh, Cathy James, the college psychologist, and myself and a few others as well take that on board to cut down number of students in the groups so to make it workable. So we usually have about 15 in a group, whereas in classes we have about 25. So we've got 15 in a group with coaching and with a teacher coach. So it's like a, a group coaching format, really. Yes, and the first half of those eight to nine sessions are really about uh, skilling the students in the grow model and yes. practice. And then the second like, four sessions, we, we still have that building on of those skills and checking on what's happening and sort of practicing those skills. But then we also do some peer coaching within peer coaching those groups as well. Yeah. So for the last probably the last three sessions, what would happen, we we would start the session, the teacher would do a quick whip around on, you know, how their academic goal is going, do a mindfulness activity. There might be a video or something else. So teacher input, just revise. And then for probably 20 minutes, half an hour, they go off and do peer coaching. So probably 10 to 15 minutes each using the grow model. So that way, and they they go out of the classroom, so sort of a quiet area, and the teachers sort of just walk around and check that coaching is actually happening. We find that they like that sort of space themselves where they can try the skills out themselves. And do you, I guess, witness a, a sense of increasing competence and confidence in their coaching capabilities over time? Absolutely. And really, interestingly, some of the students that you would think that wouldn't be good at coaching, some of our uh, lower-performing academic students, turn out to be wonderful coaches. Wow. Yeah, so, and really enjoy coaching. So, you know, it's an interesting, interesting journey. But I suppose... What's really uh, life-giving for us is that all the students grow in the skills. Right. So, so a lot of them come in at the beginning of the year and say, yes, we know all about goals. And some of them are a little bit um, perhaps ambivalent about what we offer in the sense that they know about goals and they don't really want to know any more about goals. But they find out that as we go through the program, that they do develop new knowledge and information and new skills. And, of course, we both know that there's it's one thing setting a goal, it's another thing continuing to strive towards that goal and that's often that's where people fall off the track and so really that's, for me, is where coaching really comes to the fore really and as much as, of course, we can use coaching to help people set perhaps better or smarter smart goals, you know, than they have set but it really is about the cycle of self-regulation so a process and a methodology, it's an accountability too, isn't it, when you're checking in regularly yeah. to stay on track and move towards and and in a sense you know there's a lot of research around uh you know coaching for i guess goal commitment um increased goal commitment and as we know grit has been a popular topic too and it can certainly enhance goal commitment and grit by utilizing coaching through that process and isn't there research too now saying that goal striving that whole process of goal striving is significant it's not just about the end product in terms of the end outcome it's about that whole process of striving towards 
whatever it is? Yes, I think there's actually quite a lot of research that's been around for a very long time. It's funny though how it doesn't make its way out, I guess, into the ether a bit, but showing that it's actually not the goal attainment that it equates to elevated well-being. And in fact, as you would probably have experienced, Donna, I remember my uh, supervisor saying to me, when you submit that thesis, don't expect fireworks to go off. In fact, there may be a little letdown when you actually, you know, climb the top of Mount Everest or whatever. It's actually that process, the daily striving for personally meaningful goals where the yeah. well-being emanates from rather than the end point. That's right. And well, that's, that's how I feel. And also that's why we have the teachers check in at the beginning of each session so that they can share those things so that they we do a whip around and see how they're, they're going with their goal driving. We can see whether there have been any obstacles, any challenges. We can talk to them about that. And we can talk to them about sort of those small steps and checking. And so it's in that regular check-in that the teacher has some input there in terms of guiding them uh, throughout this process, which, which we really like. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just mention briefly the the outcome of um, the study that I mentioned that we co-authored on evidence-based coaching to enhance senior student wellbeing and academic striving did show fairly sure, hopefully this is correct, a significant increase in trait hope. And many people listening will be familiar with hope, uh, hope which emanates from hope theory. And of course, coaching really is a hope enhancement intervention in a sense, because you're helping students in this case develop personally meaningful goals. You're working on their cognition, so often looking at the the ants, the automatic negative thoughts that might hinder goal striving, and then very much from a solution-focused coaching perspective, helping the student develop multiple pathways, uh, which is the other component of hope theory. Yes, and all of those things are why we chose to go with coaching and we're really happy with that. I would like to sort of probably in the future explore what else we can do in that area now that we've got the coaching established with year 11 7. So certainly I'm sort of looking for more possibilities in that whole coaching area. And I think, again, you've probably been able to get some great feedback from the students, I would assume, too, in terms of what they think might might be helpful. Um, that would be interesting to hear. But I, I think there's a couple of things that I've heard already. One is that you have invested in some education around positive education from a well-being and a resilience through mental toughness perspective through years 7 to 10. For me, my hope has always been that by years 10, 11 and 12, it becomes much more of a coaching approach. So you're drawing out those skills that perhaps they've learnt, ideally they've learnt, perhaps even from kindergarten or even, you know, earlier in early childhood education. So they've got some of the knowledge, but then it's using that coaching approach to draw out that knowledge and apply it to a personally meaningful goal. So I think that was one thing I heard. The other thing I heard was the use now of Year 11 students to coach uh, the younger students. One of my colleagues, Christian Van Neuerberg, has done some research too and uh, received some feedback on the senior high school students building again their levels of competency through coaching younger students as well. Uh, So I think that's a a great uh, approach as well. Did you have some other ideas or thoughts around how you might expand your approach? Well, our current year seven pastoral leader is looking at next year organizing a system where I think she's going to uh, look 
at working with the Year 10 teachers and the Year 10 teachers to have some coaching conversations with incoming Year 7s. Great. So it could flow on there to another two groups as well. We just It's really just informative stage at the moment, but it would be our current students sort of reaching out to the ones coming in by, for example, an email and then perhaps having some conversations and but from a coaching sort of perspective so not sure how that's going to work but once then they get into school that could be a point of reference for them in terms of knowing that they have a coaching buddy we would organize some sort of structured fun activities as well Uh, and that would then be good for our students transitioning at year seven into high school. Absolutely, and I'm fairly sure that it was potentially, I think, Loretto Turek that have been trialling a similar approach, whether it was this year or last year, a very brief, I guess, coaching conversation, I think with the year coordinator, I may have this wrong, but with a year seven student uh, prior to them actually, their formal commencement. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's so delightful. Both you and I have recently been at the National PISA POSED Schools Association Conference, which was held in Queensland. And we've both been down to IPA, the International PosPsych Association Congress. And the many people I spoke to, you know, were, were actually articulating that, you know, it seems as if they're finally understanding the role of coaching. And I guess, you know, for me, that's music to my ears because I've been talking about the benefits of combining coaching psychology and positive psychology for a very long time. But it does appear that particularly in education, that there are more educators starting to become a little bit more intrigued around it. And also going beyond its traditional use in leadership, which is very important and certainly a part of of our services and, and offerings, but really about developing a coaching culture at a school where this is just the way things are done around here. So the solution-focused coaching conversations become everyday, uh, whether it's in the corridor or uh, outside, and that there is also, I guess, a structured approach to how people access coaching if they want formal coaching, whether that's staff or students as well. And what would you say have been your greatest learnings so far, Donna? And you could talk more broadly around POSED or you could talk around the coaching. In thinking about what I've learnt so far, I definitely, there are a few things. I've got a couple of things. First, I think you really need to have a critical friend slash external coach or expert in the field. And you've been one of them for us and I'm very grateful for having that opportunity to work with you. So we definitely need someone else who is a bit further on in the journey that you can actually ask questions of and get guidance and support. So that critical friend uh, is really important or external coach. What I've learned is it's got to be a team approach and there were three of us that drove the initiative back in 2009 and 10. It's way too hard to do on your own. So I see the three of us as being early adopters, but we spread that out to a small team, the year quarters, the pastoral leaders. They came on board very enthusiastic. And so then we had a group of about 10 or 11, and even if you get resistors or people that are critical and cynical perhaps of what we're trying to do with wellbeing, you've got more people to share 
you know, the conversations in terms of what, why we're trying to do this. I definitely think you have to have buy-in from senior management yeah. because I am in senior management. That has helped me push through things a lot faster. If I was only in middle management, I think it would be much, much harder. So buy-in from senior management is critical. Both the principal who was here when I first started and the current one are very supportive, but I'm actually part of senior management so I can drive the initiatives and keep positive education growing. And then, of course, obviously, I think it's important in terms of learning me that you do gather data on what you're doing. Uh, you don't necessarily have to gather data every year and you have to know why you're gathering data and, and what you're going to do with it. And for me in 2013 and 14, that was for my doctorate and that was the year eight transitioning to high school and the second year, which was year nine. Uh, so I gathered quantitative and qualitative data for my study those two years were very interesting in the sense that as I was learning and gathering that data and processing that data, it really affected how the program was developing because I could see from my readings and my research what was working and what was not working. And so interestingly, I don't know whether it was subliminal or not, but there were, you know, there were constant changes to the program while I was studying and really I think that's the result of, of the research that I was doing. Those are my main learnings. And Donna, just while we're on the topic of the PhD, what what were some of the key findings? The key finding was that with the cohort that the year eight that came in in transition, it was year eight, not year seven, we found quantitatively that they came in with very high levels of well-being. And that wasn't surprising in terms of the socioeconomic area where I'm teaching at school is. But my supervisor said to me, in looking at that, there's not a lot of scope for going higher. Yes, you get that ceiling effect, don't you? Yeah, yeah if they're already entering with high levels of well-being. So what happened with the research is that... For that first year, at the beginning uh, and the end of the first year, those first two points, their well-being stayed high and even went a little higher. But then in year nine, uh, which was second year of high school for them, that we noticed a dip. Yes, and that's consistent from we actually I actually spoke to outdoor education group this week and uh, the podcast and um, he was also referring to that and uh, I guess there's a number of uh, reasons or hypotheses for that. Could you talk about that? Well, I explore the whole idea of the, the fact that at this point that they were developing and in terms of a bias in terms of they've already experienced posed, so there was sort of. They were looking at it with a different lens oh, right. in year nine. Yeah. So that reference wise. A second uh, thing that I looked at too was the fact that there's a fair bit of research, there's in two areas. The, the one that says that, yes, self esteem in adolescent girls peaks at entry to high school or the, the end of primary school, the entry to high school, and then there's a dip. But equally, there's other areas of research that says there's no dip. Right. But for us, for this cohort, it looked like there was a dip. And my supervisor said it would be interesting then to track this group and see whether 
that dip was just at that year level and then they returned to higher levels of well-being. So there's that whole notion of the you know, body of research around adolescent girls peaking at the end of primary school and start of semi school. And also in other schools, I, I called it in my study the year nine factor. Year nine is often a year where students become a little bit more restless, puberty is kicked yes, in. A and engagement is harder in terms of academic engagement. And to me, there was the year nine factor in the sense that, you know, that excitement transitioning and they're still sort of bubbly, innocent girly sort of adolescence, but mine, they morph into something a bit different. So <laughs> they were the issues. It wasn't a large dip, but it was an, enough of a dip to raise questions, all right, why, why is this happening? So, But that was the quantitative data. Qualitative data were two focus groups, so basically revealed that they were very happy with POSED program helping them to deal with not only transition to high school, but also high school life in terms of workload, academic load, assessment, et cetera. And they were able to articulate how things like mindfulness, setting goals and being grateful for what you have, all those things were able to address their stress in a way that it's manageable because there's no two ways about it. There's going to be stress in high school. There just is. And some girls tend to get more stress than others. We're seeing more girls entering high school Particularly in the last five years, experiencing anxiety. So it was great in those focus groups to hear them say, "Yes, I really liked what we did at the beginning of Posed lessons, where we just sat quietly and did a mindfulness activity, and then we're able to write in that gratitude diary what we were grateful for, and also that whole notion of having something to look forward to in terms of savouring." So. We knew that for all of our students, it would be something different. We knew that not every student, and same applies now, that not every student will take on board these strategies, but we knew that for most they'd, they'd take on something. And, and certainly the, the two focus groups were very positive and, and uh, very positive outcomes. And it was interesting, last year I had a year 12 student who I interviewed at the end of the year and she reflected, she came in in year eight, so she had five years of positive and she said one of the things that she really valued was mindfulness right from the start in year eight and she said it became part of her life where she would begin each day with mindfulness or meditation, uh, her own sort of version of it, to help her, in her words, gain a fresh perspective on life so that she could face each day with sort of excitement and, and enthusiasm. So for me, listening to that student, it was really understanding that for her, that mindfulness had come not in terms of those consciousness levels. She moved from unconscious incompetence to conscious competence. So she, it was just part of her life and it was lovely to hear in her own words. And, and obviously that had become a, a normal part of her life. Yeah, that's a wonderful story. And I guess one of the concerns that I often hear too is that um, you don't know if it's actually making an impact and, and there is some interest in, like I'm trying to think of the correct term that's being used scientifically, but the lag effect, if you like. And I know I've witnessed that in uh, w coming across some students that were fortunate enough to be involved in uh, some of the early POSED programs 
programs. And I actually had one in a, a corporate workshop recently. And you could see that his knowledge was far ahead. And he had reflected and said that he had been utilising some of these skills that he'd learned in school. And I think, you know, just reiterating again, the opportunity then is uh, if you've learned some of these, I guess, core psychological capabilities, I'd probably refer to them as, um, that often we don't learn until post the curveballs coming <laughs> uh, historically. But if we can learn them a little bit more proactively and, and uh, utilise that coaching approach in moving into senior high school when they've got the challenge coming up. And, and I know that you also generally, correct me if I'm wrong, allow them or encourage them to expand to personal goals beyond academic goals as well. Is that correct? Yes. Early on, we did have personal goals as well. Uh, we found that we probably didn't have a lot of time to explore both in the session. So we tended to, in the last few years, we've moved more towards the academic goal, particularly because of the stress in the senior school. But we definitely encouraged them to have personal goals as well. And a lot of those goals for adolescent girls revolved around fitness. Yes. So an exercise. But I think it was... Probably just in terms of time and the number of sessions that we had, we just found that it was easier just to sort of do that academic goal in, in detail rather than sort of the two. But, we, yeah, definitely we started with two. And if we had more time, we would have expanded that as well and kept going. Absolutely. So maybe that's something we'll uh, hear into the future, Donna. And just one final question. Did you at all look at impact on academic achievement at all? We survey them every year and we ask them with the strategies they learn, the solution-focused approach, uh, helpful in terms of their academic journey. So we get positive feedback every year. I think probably 70% of them are saying that they're benefiting from skills and applying them because these are goals. Their SMART goal is very specific. So because we take it at two terms, for example, you know, I had one student in my group who wanted to take the two terms to focus on moving from, I think it was a B minus in physics to a B. So they're very, they're very specific and very focused. And I think once they're experiencing some successes with the actions that they put in place, then we hope that that carries on. And of course, Having them then coach year sevens is further cementing those skills. Absolutely. Unfortunately, we're at time, Donna, but I just want to thank you again for everything that you've done in pioneering and evidence-based coaching approaches in schools, but also positive education more broadly. I think you're a member on the PISA committee in Queensland, is that correct yes. as well? And yeah, your leadership role in PISA and broadening uh, the scope of POSED beyond Australia, I think is, is my hope as well. So thank you so much and best wishes for the future. Thanks, Susie, and it's been a great privilege and an honour to be on the program. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series two. This podcast has been brought to you by our sponsor, Perth College, who will also be the host of the upcoming Flourish 2019 conference in Perth on Saturday the 26th of October. If you'd like to stay in the loop for all things POSED, be sure to join our Pioneers of Positive Education Facebook group or sign up for our free monthly Pi News. Thanks for listening and bye for now.